0: you're listening to Bible Through the Year 2017, a weekly devotion to supplement the annual Bible reading plan for Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor at Cornerstone, and this is week 52 of our Bible reading plan, and that means that we have come all the way to the end of our chronological reading through the Bible. And I I want to congratulate you. If you've finished out the year, that means you've read all the way through the Scriptures and you have come to the end of the book. And I'm so proud of you. And I hope that this resource has been an encouragement and a help to you along the way. But we still have a few books to read to to finish out our year of reading. And those books are 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, the letter of Jude, the three letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the book of the Revelation. Now, let me introduce what's going on here as we get to the end of the book. Now, the first epistle of John, it neither begins nor ends like your typical epistle. Normally, such letters begin with uh, you know a typical greeting where the author makes himself known to a specified audience and and the greeting will also include some of the specific circumstances for why the letter was written in the the first place. That's not how John opens his letters. He opens 1st John by drawing our attention to the glory of Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God. Now we find out just a few verses later that that John does this because he's trying to respond to the falsehoods that are being spread throughout the church. That's why John is writing. This is a letter that is written to encourage and reassure a, a group of Christians who are being confused and discouraged by what's going on in their local assembly. Now, we know that from the early church fathers that John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, he was an elder to the seven churches in Asia Minor. All those seven churches that are referred to in the book of the Revelation that we're going to be reading. We also know that John, prior to his exile, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where, uh, where the book of the Revelation was actually written. But before that, he was a pastor to the church in Ephesus, which was the intellectual center for Asia Minor. And we know that this letter was written late in the first century, close to to A.D. 90. And most commentators agree that John writes this letter to oppose a new type of false teaching that was creeping into the church, known as Gnosticism. And, And it may just be that what we're seeing happen in this letter is that the Apostle John is addressing something that the Apostle Paul had warned the elders of Ephesus to watch out for in Acts 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul called together the elders of the church and he warned them sternly. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to the flock because I know that when I leave, after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come in among you. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. Now, John has been allowed by God to live to a ripe old age. He's outlived all the other apostles, and, and he's been allowed to live to this ripe old age so that he could be that last apostolic witness who addresses the heresies and the false teachers who are spreading in the end of the first century. And so these false doctrines that... Uh, We know as Gnosticism, they primarily denied the full deity and humanity of Christ. And these false teachers, they were troubling the church because they had separated themselves out from those that that they had formerly claimed to love as brothers and sisters in Christ. And John is writing these letters to the Christians in this church. And, And these Christians are discouraged and they're confused and they're brokenhearted because their brothers or those they thought were brothers have left. But in the midst of their difficulty, God calls upon John to write this letter to strengthen them in their knowledge of the reality of who Christ is for them. And, and this is going to be a theme to the books that we're going to be reading this week. There's a lot of false teaching here, and, and there's a lot of difficulty coming here. As we're going to read through Paul's second letter to Timothy, what we see Paul doing is he's calling Timothy to be bold. he. he, he calls not just for Timothy, but for all the ministers of the gospel to be bold and to persevere in spite of the suffering that will come for those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And the reason Paul is writing this to Timothy is because it's happening. And it's happening even to Paul. This is Paul's last letter. And it is being written right before his own martyrdom in Rome under Nero. And so while, while Paul is encouraging Timothy to be bold to the very end, he himself is having to be bold to the very end. And this week we're going to be reading through 2 Peter, and 2 Peter was the last letter written by Peter. And it was written while he was, uh, probably while he was in Rome as a prisoner himself, and it was written just before his own martyrdom. The book of Jude that we're going to read this week, the book of Jude is the book that that the author did not want to write. And he says so in the very opening of the letter. He wanted to write a letter celebrating our common salvation, but instead he, he felt it necessary to encourage the church to contend for the faith. And he had to do this because the gospel was under attack. And this letter is aimed to help the church defend the gospel. And so what that means is that this situation in the world at that time is that the apostles are being killed for their faith. The church is under attack from persecution and and also from false teaching. All that's going on in the world right now paints a very dark picture of the gospel, or at least for those who believe the gospel. And that's where the last book that we're gonna read comes into view. And that book is the book of the Revelation. Literally, it's the apocalypse. And with all that's going on in the world, including the the spread of false teaching and the persecution of the church and the martyrdom of Christ's apostles, the people of God need comfort. And this revelation is aimed to give that to them. This letter is written to show that God is in control of the events of human history. And even the terrible things that are taking place in the world will result in the growth of the church, the triumph of the gospel, and the glory of God. So I want to now turn our attention to something that you can meditate on. And I want to stay with that theme of the revelation. The book of the Revelation, not Revelations with an S. It's one revelation. It it is perhaps the hardest book in the Bible to understand. But it's really not intended to be difficult, or at least impossible. This book makes some things incredibly clear. But it does make use of some interesting literary devices along the way. This book falls into the category of apocalyptic literature. And this means that it, it makes use of highly imaginative symbolism to communicate its message. And there's no denying that this book is difficult to understand. And I suggest that you keep a good Bible study a study Bible on hand as you read or even a good commentary on the book. My favorite book on the Revelation is a book titled More Than Conquerors by William Hendrickson. I would highly recommend that you pick this this book up, that you read through it, that you keep it open as you're reading through the Revelation or at least just have it on your bookshelf for that day when you have time to read it. But this book has helped me more than anything else to understand how to read the Revelation and how to understand its key message. And so what I want us to meditate on is the key message of the book. What is that message? Well, the purpose of the book, as I've said earlier, is to comfort the church in its ongoing struggle against the forces of evil in the world. God wants to help us. God wants to help the church to have assurance that even when life is terrible, our prayers are heard. And even our death for the sake of Christ will be precious in the sight of God. But the theme of the book is the thing that brings the most comfort. The the purpose is to comfort, but the theme is what's comforting. And the theme of the book is that Christ and his bride will have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Even when the world celebrates the seeming demise of God's people, this book shows that their rejoicing is premature. In reality, it is the believer who triumphs, because even in death, we win. The book closes with this amazing picture of Christ's final victory and the restoration of all things. Sin is removed, the world is remade, the enemy has been completely vanquished, and God once again dwells in the midst of His people. The end of the book of the Revelation marks the beginning of eternity when all things are put right and we will live in the presence of God forever. Now let's turn our attention to something that I would encourage you to discuss and I want to focus in on uh, 1 John. Now there are two things I want us to discuss as we read John's letters and they are very particular statements that are made about God in this first letter. Now the first statement tells us that God is light And in him there is no darkness. And the question is, what does this mean? Is this a statement about God's physical glory, like the Shekinah glory cloud that enveloped the temple? Uh, Or is this a statement about God's righteousness, like in contrast to the darkness of sin in the world? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that the answer is yes. I mean, God is light, and that's a reference to His unique glory that shines so bright that we can't look upon Him and live. And that's, a, that's seen throughout Scripture. It is a reference to the holiness of God that makes it impossible for man to come into His presence and survive. But I think this phrase is also a moral statement. And we know this is true, or at least I believe this is true, because God's light is something that we are actually called to walk in in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, right? That's, that's, that's really the litmus test. We, we learn that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And we who claim to be in the light of God are to be those who are walking in the light of God. John wants us to view our lives through the lens of God as light while all the world is in darkness. And that means that for the truly regenerate believer, the light that is God, which has shone into, into our dark hearts, making known the truth and beauty of Christ's gospel, now we who've been called from darkness to light are compelled by the glory of that light to walk in the light. I mean, it's just this weird thing. But this truth, the light of who God is, is meant to be lived out in us. It's truth that affects action. It's, it's theology that affects our daily walk. God is light. Now, there's a second statement that I want you to discuss, and it's about God. It's God is love. In 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11 and going forward, we learn that this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, and it is a message that changes the way we live right? It's, it's truth for life. God is love and His love has been shown to us. It's been manifested to us through the fact that He sent His Son to die in our place as our substitute. Christ came to be a tangible display of God's great love and this truth is not meant to just change our hearts. It's also meant to change our lives, Since God is love and has loved us, we ought to love God and love others. Love flows from the heart of God and into our hearts and then through our lives and touches the lives of others. The fact that God is light and that God is love, these truths are meant to change everything about us. And So take some time this week to not only read about these truths, but also discuss these truths with others. Discuss how God's light and God's love are good news for us but also discuss how God's light and God's love are good news through us. And finally, I want to turn your attention to something that we can pray about. And to do that, I want us to look at the letter of Jude, or you could just call it Judah. And this letter starts by charging the church to contend for the faith. Along the way, Jude points out the problems that have crept into the church. He actually uses that language. And he gives them some instruction on how to address those problems. But toward the end of the letter, Jude encourages his readers to pray. So he's warning the reader to remember the gospel and to avoid falsehood. And then he writes this in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show mercy to others uh, with, with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, here's what you think he's saying here. In our battle to stay faithful to Christ and the truth of the gospel, there are some clear things that we must do. I mean, we must build ourselves up in the faith, study the scriptures and grow in our knowledge of the truth. We're to keep ourselves in the love of God to hold on to our confession of faith and wait on His final mercy to be revealed. And we are to show mercy to others who have doubts about the faith and we're even to snatch some of those doubters out of the fire, right? To protect them from their own disobedience and walking away. These are all the things that we're supposed to do, but notice that a big part of our response to false teaching is prayer. All of these actions that I just stated are couched in our active prayers in the Holy Spirit. So while we are working, we're also praying that God is at work in us. But let's not wait until things get hard. Let's pray now that the Spirit of God would build us up, would grow our love, would keep us in God's mercy, and enable us to lead those with weak faith into confidence in Christ. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks for listening.